Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone, wherever you are. It is always great to see everyone at these town halls. And I think the, the last few have been very much focused on uh, sort of outside of our community and the people coming into it. Uh, but it's, I think, very important for us to remember what this is all for, and, and that is for uh, the brands that we have and, and the people behind them. Um, the technologies that we're, that we're really trying to bring in here are all for the purpose of, of furthering your respective mission, uh, missions. And so especially with, uh, with the smaller brands of the world, the one-of-a-kind, uh, custom-tailored and, and denim brands, I think today is a great conversation to sort of focus in on um, some of the, the very unique creations that um, Ali, Noor, and Tover are bringing to the canvas and around the world with their products. So um, welcome to all three of you. We're very excited to have you. Um, and we're going to go ahead and, and kick off with Noor Bakara of Norism and the Upcycle Design School. So um, Noor is going to get us started. She's going to share her screen with us and she's going to share a, a short presentation with us on the impact of denim in the fashion industry. Um, maybe first I'll just talk about why my background, why I started Norism, and then I'll go into Perfect. the slideshow. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I'm Nora Bashara, um, and I'm the founder of Norism, and more recently, Upcycle Design School. And um, so my background is uh, a fashion designer. I went to FIT, and I worked in the industry for some of the big brands, um, Mark by Mark Jacobs, Zach Posen, Tahari ASL, and Kate Spade. And I started Norism in 2015 as a way to make a more positive impact in the industry. And because I felt like there was, there's enough stuff in the world. And as I started researching sustainable fashion back then, I found it really difficult to source sustainable materials and to make sense of them and to figure out which type of material would be best to use. So um, it just made more sense to use material that already existed. And denim was just a great choice for that because there's just so much of it and it's durable, it's really easy to reuse, it's always in style and it's not that trendy because it's just classic. I also uh, wanted to take upcycling and turn it into rather than one of a kind DIY style pieces, which historically most upcycling had been, I wanted to show that you can scale it and that you can make multiple pieces that look exactly the same. And so my goal with Norism was to kind of show that and to be upcycled but not be one of a kind. So if you put my jackets on a rack, each one of them is slightly different, but at the same time, they look like they're the same. So more recently, I have launched Upcycle Design School, which is based on the class I teach at FIT on upcycle design and basically process that I created for producing Norism pieces just basically turned into a class. And the goal with that is to inspire more people to use upcycling and to help people grow upcycling businesses. When we donate clothing, it gets sent to developing countries such as Kenya, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and this causes a huge impact on their local economies. And so Kenya imports about 100,000 tons of secondhand clothes a year, 
providing the government revenue from customs duties and creating tens and thousands of jobs. Um, but to critics, this, this actually um, cuts down on their local um, businesses and it basically takes away the incentive for them to create clothing and to have a local industry. So, because um, it basically undercuts their manufacturing and their their own production. So, it's a it's a problem. So, so when I when I source jeans, I basically go to the rag house where most pretty much like more than fifty percent of clothing that gets donated in the United States just ends up getting exported to other countries and it just doesn't get resold it doesn't go to vintage stores it doesn't go to goodwill because there's just too much of it so i basically when i source secondhand clothing i basically intercept it from the rag house before it gets exported awesome thank you Noor. that's that's a great intro really appreciate you putting that together um ali do you want to lead us off next and tell us where you are how you're doing and all about on trend yeah, um, I'm actually really glad you started with all of that, Noor, because you really touch on like everything that has pretty much inspired me to work with denim, but also to upcycle and recycle as well. Um, just like you said, I think that uh, uh, most of the majority of people don't realize that when they donate clothing that they're like, oh, but I donated it. And, you know, it's not always going to a place um, that they think it's going or it's not going to be resold or it's sent off to another country and it's harming them. So appreciate your intro there. Um, but yeah, I'm Allie. <laughs> um, and I started the Untrend shop. Um, I started working with denim and starting to upcycle around 2017, but like officially started my shop in 2018. And um, a little bit about my background. Um, well, right now I'm here in... Um, technically Ridgewood, but it's like basically Bushwick, um, just like a half a block over is where my studio is. And um, I've been living in, and working in Brooklyn for five years, um, living here for six, working for five. Um, but yeah, a little bit about my background. Um, from Minnesota, but I moved here for FIT. I went there for just my senior year. I was in a program from Wisconsin where it was three years at Wisconsin and then your final year at FIT doing the one-year associates program. So um, my bachelor's is in textile and apparel design. So I had a little bit of dabbling in both. And then um, I just have the one-year associates at, uh, for fashion design at FIT as well. And I think in school, I definitely didn't have a good grasp uh, about what it was really going to be like to be working in the fashion industry. Once I graduated, I think like most people who go into fashion design or any of the arts you do because you're a creative person and you're excited about the idea of having this like creative, awesome career. And so I think when I graduated from FIT and I was here in New York, I, um, I decided to stay here because um, I loved it here and I knew I wanted to work here. Uh, and I started working pretty much right away at a corporate fashion company, um, not a notable one, um, one that I like to call like a ghost writer. <laughs> um, we would just basically design like fast fashion for um, tons of different department stores or smaller brands. Um, so it was a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. 
And basically how that functioned was my bosses would go to like free people or urban outfitters or some of the trendier stores, buy a bunch of stuff, bring it back to the office, give it to me, tell me to draw it <laughs> like exactly. And then we might change like a few details and uh, then I would send it off um, to get a sample made from our factories in China. So, and we would do this most days, like just constant tons of sample creating almost without too much thought and care. So um, a couple of issues there, I felt like, wow, this really isn't very creative. It's very just like repeating what's out there. And, um, and then, you know, a lot of the samples will come back and not be great or something will be wrong with them. And, you know, then you have this garment that's just like, you can't do anything with it. You're not going to be making it. And so we have this whole room, even just in our office of all the like samples that didn't work out or different colorways they just wanted to see and never actually produced. So I think that first, I only spent a year there. I really couldn't do much more than that. Um, but I, I just saw firsthand like how things functioned on that lower level of the industry. Uh, and I just kind of, I really just quit. I was like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I, I tried to get other jobs, but then I got to the point where I was just like, I'm just going to exit this and go figure it out. So I um, didn't have anything going right away. Like just jumped and started working at a restaurant to make money and was like, I got to figure this out. And um, that was a difficult time for me because I kind of was coming to this realization about how I had been sort of like put through this amazing like creative fashion design program in school and then I just kind of became this cog in a machine and I didn't want to be that but I didn't know what else there was to do like what other options I had and I think that that has happened to a lot of my friends like they're not like loving loving their fashion jobs but they have that like creativity inside of them that they want to use so um yeah there's like a difficult weird disconnect between um, going to school for it and then actually working in the industry. So that's why I exited it and why I sort of have a love-hate relationship with fashion in general. Um, but from there, I got my own studio, which is still here now. And I just started like thinking about what I could possibly make. And I wanted to get back into like the creative and maker side of things. So I was like perusing thrift stores because that's just cheap material that you, I could use to like cut up and make new things. And what I immediately found was that denim was everywhere. I mean, especially all the stores in my immediate area in Brooklyn, like you walk in and there's just racks and racks and racks of big like pairs of men's jeans. And they're all like $8 or $10. So I just started buying a bunch of those. And I was like, I know I'm going to do something. <laughs> and uh, that's really how I started out with denim. I never really thought I was going to be in denim. I had no particular interest in it growing up because I'm from the Midwest. And I thought jeans were super boring and I never wanted to wear them because it just like is like a classic style <laughs> that everybody wears. So it's odd now that I'm in denim, but um, I like went to the New York Denim Days Festival that year just by myself to check it out with like a customized pair of jeans that I had like upcycled from a large pair of men's jeans into like a fitted tailored pair of women's jeans. Um, actually have an example of that. That's what I started doing right away. I was like, oh, there's these huge pairs of men's jeans. What if I can just like 
and hugely take them in and make them into like cute pairs of women's jeans. But once I went to the festival, then I got involved in denim even further. So I met somebody who gave me a job in denim repair. So then I was doing my own stuff and then I was doing repair work. And then that's when I really like decided, okay, I'm going to do this a little bit more officially. And I started the untrend shop. Um, the word untrend is, uh, Basically, when you think of anything that a trend is, it's everything but. So um, I think that that word sort of fully encompasses what the brand is about, which is, um, you know, making one-of-a-kind pieces that are unique to the person who finds that piece. And, um, you know, I want, like, consumers to think more about when they buy something that they, like, really want that to be something that they're going to keep for a long time or, like, really love. So something that really, like, inspired me and gave me fuel when I started was every person that I met that, like, found a specific piece in my shop that they connected with, um, it's, like, one of their, like, prized possessions now. So I, like, really loved, like, meeting people and seeing their reaction to, like, finding that one special piece. Um, I also have done a ton of custom work for people that reach out to me and are like, I have this idea and we just sort of work together and make it happen. So I really love that custom side of the industry, really making sure that something is perfect for somebody and they're going to love it and keep it and um, like take care of it. Like I know like it's hard to take care of our clothes and a lot of us don't. And so I really love that aspect of just having that unique one of a kind piece. And that also allows me to be a little bit more creative with what I do. Um, yeah, and then I guess leading up to where I'm at now with everything, um, I've been not making as many pieces specifically during the pandemic because I got super wrapped up in making masks. So that's all I was doing every day. I've actually just recently gotten back into creating some new pieces, um, but then a little bit about what I do for work still, because I'm not totally independently doing this. It's still, I guess, where I would consider to be kind of on a hobby level. Um, but I work at Levi's as a tailor. So because I was so involved with denim already and I was teaching myself how to do denim tailoring, I was able to get a job tailoring there. And I just do that part time. Um, I was still working at a restaurant like two days a week, but I'm actually have another job coming up that's just embroidery now. So I probably won't have to go back to restaurant work. So that's good. But you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, but yeah, so at Levi's, I learned how to um, like perfect my tailoring skills, but also I learned how to use this machine called a chain stitch embroidery machine. And um, that kind of leads up to, um, I guess, talking about how that relates to the canvas. We're actually gonna be, I got my own machine um, and it's basically a, a manual old school chain stitch machine. So the way it functions is um, you press the pedal for the speed and then there's like a little crank like underneath it and you use that to change the direction of the stitching. But um, we are actually gonna be placing my new machine that I got at the new canvas store. All right, so. Um, that's very exciting new collaboration that we're doing and um, I'm excited to be able to offer those services to people just coming into the store. Um, I think we might even, I might even like pull up a rack of just like blank denim thrifted garments so that people can like pick one, buy that and get something stitched on the spot. So yeah, that's kind of like 
where things are looking to the future, but that's um, sort of my whole <laughs> journey, start to finish, and how I got to where I am and, and what I'm doing and why. So I hope that covers everything. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, Allie, for going into such detail. Um, we've been having the conversation about the embroidery machine, I think, since January or February. We, we were really planning to get it off, and then uh, COVID happened. So um, I know Kate, in particular, is super excited about the embroidery machine because we've been discussing that on the Currency Studio side for a while. So we're, we're, we're super pumped to, to have it in the store. Um, and that's actually a great transition because uh, at the same time, we've been, we've been speaking with Tove about having a studio set up too. So now as, as we follow up from the conversation we had at the last town hall about what Bowery will look like um, as an ecosystem of resources for designers, I think the embroidery machine is one. And then Tove, um, we've just started the conversation, but um, hearing from you about first, first and foremost, uh, T by Dem, how it transitioned into Tove by Design, and then of course, um, yeah. what, you, what, what you're thinking for Bowery as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Team Canvas, first of all, for letting us like, come here and talk this openly about things and hearing what I just heard those two other women presenting. That was so incredibly interesting. And I've been following both the accounts for like a long time and wow, um, amazing. So, um, I can start with saying that I, my background is in glass, the glass manufacturing. So I come from a maker, the, a maker uh, manufacturing um, business situation where we have 15 employees at a factory in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, and to the fashion platform, I really arrived more as a, as a customer who's been looking for like sustainable products and forever for myself and for my family. So it's been like lingering, like, or it was lingering for years. And then I had, for me, like the, it all kind of started with, when I made the connection with someone very similar to uh, Noor, when I hear you speak and your, um, like the road that you've taken in terms of uh, your your profession and your interest and, and what you're doing she i met this woman who's very who's very similar um how can i say um just passion and experiences what as what i hear came from you today and uh she was the um her name is annika axelson and she was the uh definitely the trailblazer in scandinavian sustainable textiles and fashion, they had the first, they, she created the first brand in Sweden that did sustainable fashion because sustainable clothes, organic clothes have been around for like, you know, a while people are trying to do this and that and everything, but they were the first brand that actually managed to do like, you know, suit, black suits, jeans, and it went really well for them until they actually, the two partners split up and then Annika focused on getting out there. So now she, her work is more focused on going out and talking about her journey and how to implement, implement fair trade, peace, the living wage and uh, sustainability as a whole to companies in Scandinavia that wants to move toward towards that so she is like a highly sought after source for um in many situations and school and institutions as well so um when i met with her this was now three years ago and uh, with the intention of actually 
I we had the kind of like a little bit of naive idea that I was going to bring over her brand or her the clothing that they had created in Sweden to here. But in that process, we realized that that was going to be slight, a little bit too expensive. And um, but we you know we gave it a shot for like maybe it was a year and a half, and I did one distribution piece for her via her company that went to Oatly and the New York company. So we delivered t-shirts to them via the Swedish company, but it's not that, that part is not necessarily easy if you haven't done that before. And um, um, so within, with that connection in there, somehow I was able to, uh, well, A, use my design skills and also more than that, build on just a personal need that I had had for a garment that you know that one can use as a woman in it seems like now when now when now when we've had it like um for a while on the market and used it and like I get feedback from a lot of users it seems like wow it's a th this this piece of clothing should have been around forever because it's like it's it seems to function really well but it's a um, happen, it's a it's a new take on the um, it's a new take on a wrap skirt and it has like apron features. So it's, we balanced um, the amount of pockets and there's a tool loop and the fact that you can you know it's size flexible with a tie waist. So it's a very classic kind of like the A line shape and a garment that kind of speaks for itself in many ways. And then, so there was, so we, it's been, we've had that on the market now for three years almost. And um, my idea was to use that piece and a little bit as a, kind of like a tool to work with, to collaborate with other companies, to spread a garment and, you know, show that it's actually possible to create a garment on the market that's made with, you know, 100% sustainability, 100% like respect for, you know, yeah, like we all talk about for the planet and for uh, the people. So it's been it's been a really interesting journey to have to 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 do that. And she, so the from. From my from my perspective, I can't like I can't take any credit for the sustainability piece. It's like that's been created by someone else's actually life work. So I would love to have Annika Axelsson come and speak for us here at some point. That would be really pretty amazing because she has like she has a million of stories and pretty extraordinary experiences in this. She was her, their first factory. So they came from the textile academy in Gothenburg, Sweden, she and her work partner. They, their first venture was that they were going to produce like, a, you know, this was 2002. They were going to produce, they had set the goals on producing organic and fair trade t-shirts for a project. Uh, couldn't find anything in Sweden, couldn't find anything beyond that, were traveling uh, the world and uh, realized that they could find organic, but they couldn't find the fair trade piece anywhere. So they started their own factory in Sri Lanka in two weeks. 
bunch of women tailored sewing machines started it and also they were able to pay uh, a living wage and that was actually the first time that that had happened in the country of Sri Lanka back in 2002 so with a solid then business idea of like selling the garments in Sweden and that that worked for for many years so so that so so she has she has all those stories on the sustainability piece and was invited uh, i'm not sure actually sure exactly what year this was but she was invited to an indian factory maybe 2007 um to do just that it was already an organic fully organic um from the cotton seed to the stitching um factory setting that they had there uh, built up by a man who and this is in Bangalore, India, built up by a man who also came a little bit from an activist background. He had seen himself and um, first-hand experienced the, um, a lot of the suicides in the, by the cotton farmers, like due to the pesticide um, rules and just the stress that all those farmers were going through. So he has also like a pretty, amazing story on why he started his factory to do that. He invited Annika and she came and then implemented the fair trade uh, and doing which part of like of his company as well. So that's been operating in um, well at least five years like that. And uh, what I heard so after going back into like my part of this, um, I had so I, I had designed and developed like with Anke this, this product and we did a, so we did a, we did a test run, a first test run with a company that as I just, I had kind of forgotten a little bit that I had worked with them, but it's a Swedish company that I think that you'd all get a little bit of a kick of like reading about. Their name is Atakak and it's ran by two gentlemen. They've won a lot of prizes in terms of like new design um, and so they were in the same building as Annika and they had collaborated and they made our first round of I think 300 skirts to, for a start uh, from the fab fabric that came from Bangalore India. So we ran that, that was a big success and sold us pretty quickly but I realized in there that you know to have to have production to have the stitching to have the sewing partly done in Sweden was not going to be it wasn't really going to function on a financial level to sell in the US because of course you have to the there's high salaries in Sweden so then I got introduced to the owner of the factory in Bangalore and ever since then we have had a really great relationship and to me it's just phenomenal to have a relationship and a connection with someone as far as Bangalore, India. I've only met the owner one time in Sweden and, and have this um, opportunity to creating, I mean, this is small, this is we're just talking one or two different garments and models, so it's very simple designs, but to have, to have that been working as well as it has up until today, like with the, we're doing small runs. And I realized from everything that I've learned those past three years from the, 
from people in the fashion industry and the textile industry, I, I've learned that as a designer, you don't just easily come in and get those connections where you can do small runs. And we also have uh, 100% sustainable um, production. So I've learned that this is a crazy, amazing um, production situation. And they communicated to me before COVID hit that they started a new, like about a year ago, they started and opened a new factory two hours out in the countryside outside Bangalore with the goal of employing, you know, the full goal would be to employ 500 women from that area in the countryside, battered by family members. That's kind of like the intention. Uh, who else would have an impossible time getting in the job? So they really are working from like an authentic place, trying to make their community better. And uh, I am working on getting them to share photos with us so that that can be part of what, you know, that we communicate as well. At this point, um, I would say I am doing well with my company because it's so, it's so small. It's only me and I order batches of like skirts and maybe three to 500 twice a year or something like that. So it's not a big production yet. Um, and I have the opportunity to do this kind of, like as um, what Ali was saying, like not necessarily a hobby level, but it's a labor of love because I have my other company that is pretty stable. So it's, a, it's an interesting platform to be in. And I, um, it's, not, it's not my only income. So it's giving me that sort of, you know, you can sit back and be part of conversations like this and find co collaborations all over. And that's why that's my biggest, um, uh, when you guys contacted me from the canvas, I was like, wow, this is like young people really doing something, you know, from your heart and from what you guys have, you know, just seen growing up and studying and just taking this to this level. And it's been, for me, the journey of like being part of the canvas has been uh, actually, it's really important in how I, how I think and how I develop like my company slowly. It's definitely a slow fashion project. Um, and taking it from, I think taking it from now, from this place, um, into the future, the goal would be to sell more of the skirts and create more, just uh, um, an awareness of that there is this garment. <laughs> also like a little bit specifically geared to a maker crowd, the make a maker audience like myself. So there's a specific niche that I've noticed also goes passes well into the, you know, audience of like, you know, sort of the hipster areas that, you know, in New York City and, and beyond that you guys are having as clients or customers. So it's sort of, um, it's a tangible product that can also sort of be part of spreading the message that this can be done and in the right way. We put a, um, print on the inside of each item telling what batch it's come from and a little bit for example the the one batch that will come now in um next week arrives very delayed it will have a print saying that it's you know stitched during covid times for example so there'll be a little bit of like a story in, in there so using cultural references and trying to be 
mindful in um, throughout the whole process, even, even our own as we sell it and connect with customer has been, I don't know, it's a really, it's a really great way to work in. The only thing is that it takes a long time and it's slow and it takes a long time to build your customer base and, and all that. But to me, the canvas is like a very interesting platform to be part of because it's growing at the pace that I feel like a lot of us maybe can relate to that are doing this as well. Um, and one more thing I want to say about going into the future, um, the other chapter that I'm ready to step into would be to help to open up to help other, there's lots of designers in the US in particular and companies that maybe want to branch out and do a uh, maybe just a sustainable line or if you're a new designer to try a small batch of like 100 of something so for me I, I, I'm ready to sort of open that up and work with whoever wants to to do that and uh, sort of help them transition into this production finding this production uh, chain because they are screaming for orders right now so I feel like it's kind of like part of the so I hope that gave a good idea of what it is that I'm trying to do. It's great. Thank you so much, Tov. And thank you for always contributing to these conversations. I feel like um, everyone already, <laughs> mostly, most of us already know you, but, but hearing the story in so much detail is, is awesome. Um, I'm on gallery view right now and I have Tov and Tina, you guys are next to each other. And I made the connection just because Tina, you're, you're sort of in your like workshop area, right? And behind yeah. is, is the mood board. And I think about, a similarity between um, Tove by Design and Vertois is really that you guys have put so much time and effort into perfecting a single design and a single product and the supply chain around that. And I think about if every fashion brand did that for every product that they had, um, rather than have so many fashion brands with so many different products, we could have a lot of individual brands with very well-run supply chains, great designs, and just really perfecting their craft. And I think both of you have done that. Um, exceptionally well. So I don't know, Tina, if you have any thoughts on uh, on the similarities there. Um, yeah. So it's funny. I, Allie, when you were telling your story about where you used to work, I did the same thing for about thirty years. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think there's hopefully okay. So the thing, the hardest thing for me is to get people to care. But, you know, if you were to tell a regular customer shopping in Zara, they'd be like, what are you talking about? You just have to make one t-shirt. Do you have anything else? You know? So, you know, that's been the hardest part for me is trying to like explain to people, well, we took this white t-shirt. We want it to be organic. We want it to be fair trade. You know, we want it to be recyclable. Um, so I guess, you know, coming from a background like Allie's, um, seeing so many things going into the market, seeing so much waste, seeing, you know, I used to work for a company that we made things for Costco and we shipped like a million polo shirts in one year and they're $9.99, right? So if people buy them for Father's Day, they're just going to throw them away, you know? So that's kind of where I came up with my idea. But um, I love too what you're doing, Tove, because I know for me, just cooking around the house, you know, I need an apron. <laughs> I mean, you do, because you're always like putting things down, picking things up, you know, so I, I love how you've also perfected that and, and really getting people to care about where it came from it is something that I would love to see more people care about. 
Oh, yeah, I agree with that. That's ex that's exactly that. That you find you have to find like it's it's in a way I'm kind of lucky with the makeup piece there because that category of people, it's like if you get the skirt in the right hands, they cannot stop talking about it. Yeah. Like my husband has been trying to find me something for years and I'm so picky. Like I get the funniest like like feedbacks. That is great because you can use that as testimonials, of course, and then work on that. But so so that niche is a really good place to start. But it's it is about them that then what you say, like to then from that platform educate them about hey it's it's actually produced like this and spread the word about that. And the it's almost as if when I started, like I was, I was actually, I had a quick talk with um, a woman who used to work for Burton, Burton Snowboards. Uh, in the very beginning, she was the one who traveled 300 days a year. And she was their first um, like salesperson out to uh, the stores, the retail stores. And so she obviously has a lot of experience, but she was saying, this, the first thing she said to me, she's like, mm, you can't just have one product. You, when you sell <laughs> retail stores, you need to have a family of products. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe you don't. Maybe today, maybe today we don't, because the whole retail situation is changing. Exactly, and I think too, you've picked one piece that that really you don't need a whole line of. You know, it's just it's it's almost like an item. You know, and that's kind of what I was going for with mine as well. Mm -hmm. uh, is that everybody needs a white T-shirt to go with their apron, of course. <laughs> everybody needs a white T-shirt. <laughs> Like, Everybody needs a white t-shirt and why not make it organic and, and, you know, fair trade and, you know, people buy white t-shirts like a commodity, you know, you just buy a bunch of them, but I wanted to have people feel good about what they were buying. And I think the same goes, you know, with your aprons is that you kind of look at your piece and that, like how you wrote, you know, your little story inside, you know, people are going to remember that. And, and um, I love how you, you know, you're going to print it inside the garment because people tear off hang tags and they forget, you know, how special yeah. that is. Thank you guys. Um, I want to go back to the educational component for a moment, nor um, we'd love to hear a bit more about the class that you are doing right now and sort of what the, uh, the future of that looks like, especially with Allie bringing in the embroidery machine to the canvas bowery. We've um, had a few discussions about the possibility of holding uh, when, when the time is appropriate again, um, in-person classes and of course hopefully in-person town halls at some point too but um what is the upcycle design school yes um yeah i realized i forgot to talk about a few things when i was talking um like for like, so i'm in brooklyn um and so the the journey of norism has kind of been like a slow path i guess so in 2015 when i had started the brand nobody really wanted upcycling yet nobody really knew what it was and i produce everything in new york so it's been a constant challenge of cost as well and so it's been a, a journey of where a couple of years ago i kind of hit a wall and i thought i was done with the brand and i put it on hold and i went back to working in the industry as a designer again to be practical and um then from there I got this opportunity to, to teach at FIT. And it was sort of like a pie in the sky idea of like, what would I teach? Of course, upcycling. And they went for it. So I had the opportunity to write the class. And then that kind of reconnected me with the brand and with why I was doing Norism in the first place. And I realized that maybe I wasn't done with it. 
So then I started teaching the class. And then I had this opportunity through this program through the US Embassy called Arts Envoy. And they found, well, it's, it's sort of because Norism is a made in New York fashion brand, they sent an email to everyone on that list and said, we have this opportunity, are you interested? Um, we'll basically uh, send you, you, they basically send you to other countries and you talk or teach. So I wrote back saying, of course I'm interested. So last fall they sent me to Dominican Republic and to Latvia where um, they basically paid for the whole trip. They paid by the day also. And I mean, it sounded too good to be true where I got to work with students there in Dominican Republic. They had a translator in Latvia. It was in English and I basically taught the class there. And then, so that was in the fall and then this year. So then at that point I started re reevaluating Norism and realizing I'm not done with it. Set up my studio again. I'm fortunate enough to have space right now where I have it in the basement. So I did all this right before COVID started and then then COVID happened. And so then this program, because travel was shut down, they had this budget and they needed something to do with it. And they, they felt that my class had value to these other countries. So the US Embassy basically funded the build of the class. And so it, I was able to create it as an on-demand class and then um, so I was able to hire the video production part, which made a big impact in having it come out really well. And so right now it's available as an on-demand class on upcycledesignschool.com. But then they give me students from around the world. So in July, I had a class from Israel. I had um, Abu Dhabi, Cairo, uh, Beirut, Lebanon, and Tbilisi, Georgia. And so then I uh, do a one hour class, like a group coaching uh, once a week with each class. And so it's an interesting um, complement to the on-demand part because I get to meet the students and we get to, I, I don't know, I get really inspired by hearing all of their ideas and we, I give them, basically the homework is to come up with your brand idea, how are you gonna produce it? Where are you gonna find the fabrics? How are you going to sell it? And then we share it in class and then we kind of they kind of learn from each other i kind of learn from them and so it's been really fun and really inspiring and so basically at the same time i'm still working with the embassy and then i'm also trying to push the class to my own audience at the same time and i plan on launching a group coaching through my platform as well um, and then yeah before COVID started I really wanted to start doing live in-person teaching events. And I, um, I was, it was totally part of the plan. I was going to do, I was gonna to try to do it through Airbnb. I was going to do something at Soho House and then, you know, everything kind of went on hold, but I definitely want to do more of that. And, um, and I also consult. So I have a consulting client right now where I am actually teaching her through Zoom how to make a pattern for my tote bag and how to sew it. So it's going to be interesting tomorrow to, to see, to try to teach her how to sew through Zoom. Um, but yeah, and then, um, uh, and then also like with Norism, trying to create pieces that cost less and trying to rethink about the design 
in terms of using less labor and simplifying, which is a challenge for me because I love detail and I love really subtle detail. Um, and then also, I think I didn't mention before, but part of the scalability side of what I do with Norism is basically to work with manufacturers. So I make all of the initial patterns myself and the initial samples because it really helps work out the design process. But then from there, when I produce something, I just give the factory a pile of jeans and a pattern and a sample. And I've gotten pushback in the beginning because some people don't want to work that way. But I've been able to find enough local manufacturers here in New York that are willing to do it. It's just sometimes costs a little bit more, but it's definitely possible. Um, but of course, it's a trade off between the cost of labor and the cost of materials. And so it, the fact that the materials are so inexpensive, it helps with the fact that the labor is expensive. Awesome. Thank you, Nora. Go ahead, Tove. That's genius. I mean, because it creates job and you're saving material. It's, it's great. Do, can I ask you how, like, uh, how many factories do you have working at the moment? Um, so right now I just have one that I've been working with since mm -hmm. the pandemic started. Yeah. yeah. And so it's basic, it's, a, he's a very small manufacturer, but, um, he used to be part of the BFDA P lab production. But, um, if you guys remember the Brooklyn fashion design accelerator. Mm -hmm. So that, um, I think they shut down about a year ago, but it used to be this great, um, resource on sustainability where, they had, um, it was a co-working space where we had mentorship and they had um, a whole uh, production lab and technology and they had a lot of grant money, but unfortunately it's no longer. So um, some of the, one of the sewers from the, the BFDA um, recently started his own small manufacturing facility. So I've been working with him. Wow. But I mean, I have a few others. It's actually not that difficult to find people in New York that want to sew on a small scale. It hasn't, it just hasn't been. It's more about the price for me. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm, Being able to, to balance between um, keeping the cost down. And also in the beginning, when I first started Norism, I pretty much went for only wholesale. So by the time you mark up by that much, you, you have to have smaller margins or the end price is just too expensive. So right now I'm not really going that route as much except for the canvas. So I'm trying to find a balance between how to cost so that the end price isn't that expensive, but then also not selling myself short with not making enough. So you're trying to sell direct to consumers? Yeah. Online. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, Ali, I'm not sure if you want to um, go off that at all, but I think one one common thread here, um, the BFDA was something that we always looked to. We would go pretty frequently, and when they shut down, we thought to ourselves that there was an obvious demand, but it was really the business model that that really did not allow it to work out to some extent. And so, I think when we think about the canvas Bowery and what we want it to be, we want it to fill that void to some extent. So I think um, 
the embroidery machine and, and, and what we'll do with Tove and, and hopefully much more um, will be sort of the first steps of that. But Ali, we, we discussed classes. Um, can you tell everyone sort of how you, how, how you might imagine that, that working? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it's, it's a really cool skill to learn this very specific type of embroidery. And I think that it could be of benefit to a lot of different brands if you want to be able to offer um, that extra custom add-on for your customers. And, um, but it's not the type of embroidery machine where you can just come in with a file, plug it in and just have it go. It, it, you have to really like know how to operate it. Um, so I think if there's an interest for it, I definitely would love to um, teach people how to operate the machine. And then eventually if they're at a point where they feel comfortable doing it themselves and we could rent out the machine for hours at a time or whatever to people who are wanting to add like custom names or something for their pieces. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, um, if you, if you like to like, if you like to draw or do any sort of like art yourself, like with your hands, it's very hands-on like that. Um, where, you know, a lot of times when I'm writing out names or whatever, I'm just at the point now where I'm just doing it freehand just with the like thing underneath. But then a lot of the other um, ways to do it is like you can draw something on a piece of tracing paper, tape that down to your piece and then just follow the lines with the crank. I've had people reach out to me and be like, you know, where can I go learn how to use this machine? Or like, how can I get access to one of these? And it's, it's a pretty expensive machine. So if you're going to get one, it's kind of an investment and you have to know that you're going to like it or want to use it. So most of the time people don't get them unless they're already familiar with it. So I think it could be a really cool thing to have available for people to learn how to use. Um, and then eventually if they love it enough can, can go about ordering their own. So, um, and, and this is, this is what I was talking about that I learned how to operate at, at Levi's as a tailor, cause we do large scale, um, embroidery projects and anything as simple as a name um, there is it's a super super popular thing um, that we do yeah. very cool thank you Ali I was going to say we'll, we'll open it up to any more questions or comments I think question for all of you but Nora you touched uh, upon it when you started uh, when you started out in the second part of your explanation is that how um, the way people are looking at upcycled denim, that it has changed from when you started. And I was wondering in, like you have different, all of you have different sort of products and is and if that is a change that all of you have noticed and if so, what, what was the change and what has caused it uh, in your opinion? Yeah, um, so I think the the change is the, the, the world is more ready right now for Sustainability is on the topic of conversation at the forefront right now. In the last year and a half, I would say, all of a sudden, everybody's talking about upcycling and it's, it's become something where I'm no, I'm no longer finding pushback to even use that word. And um, it's, it's something where I also started to notice that a lot of my followers were people that were small brands that wanted to learn from me rather than shop my pieces um, or maybe a little bit of both. So um, 
it's been interesting to to see the shift and to realize that I was just a little bit too early, I guess. I can touch on that a, a little bit too. Um, I would say that I've experienced so much of talking to people about the wastefulness of our industry and um, having that be a difficult conversation to have with people because um, you're not trying to like make them feel bad or like make them change their life around, but like kind of, but um, it's just like, I've always had difficulty having those conversations and making people care. So um, my approach actually came from a place where I felt like I wanted to do this upcycling stuff, but I almost want to make my pieces look so cool and like fun that like, it's just not even part like I want it to be part of the conversation, but not the main part, you know? Like I think I, my goal in upcycling is to just make really like cool kick-ass pieces um, that people want to buy just because they like the way that it looks and they're not even thinking like about um, the sustainability aspect of it. Um, I, I think because there's such a challenge with like getting people to care about that, um, I think it's definitely like an added bonus that there's all the materials are upcycled, but um, yeah, I think my focus goes more on like what it looks like and, and making it really cool and, and attractive to people to want to buy it no matter what it's made out of. Thank you. So with that, um, it's always great to see everyone. We really appreciate everyone joining. If there's any uh, final thoughts, closing, closing thoughts, please go ahead. I just wanted to say that I'm super excited about this town hall because I think it really shows the range of designers of the canvas because uh, you're all women working in sustainable denim, but you're all doing it in such different ways. And it was really inspiring and sort of empowering to learn how willing you all are to teach and to share your skills with others. And I think that's something that's sort of really niche to our community and the ethical fashion community is the willingness to share your resources and hopefully pass down your skills to others. So thank you all for sharing and um, I'm looking forward to when we can all be together in one space again and all teach each other new things. <laughs> Thanks Kate. Awesome. Thank you everyone. Great to see you all. Have a great weekend and, and talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.